You know, the areas that God gave Israel, the land of Canaan, these are all marked in the Bible. It's the oldest book. It's older than our governments anyway. And until 1948, we didn't know that Israel was still here. Now it's here. Very interesting. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Ryan. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV in this time where we're learning about the Lord. So we want to encourage you to join us. Now, Corey, what are you going to do? I'm going to be taking a look at the search for the city of Ai. Some people pronounce it Ai. Uh, over the weekend in our reading, it was told how the Israelites destroyed it and captured it. So, Ryan? Well, have you ever wondered how a God the Bible calls loving and merciful could order the complete annihilation of certain peoples? This is what I'm going to be talking about today on the program. Very good. Janice? Little or much strength. All right, very good. All of this we're going to study. Let's open up the Bible and listen to what God says to us. Joshua 14, verses 1 through 14. These are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half-tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half-tribe on the other side of the Jordan. But to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. And they gave no part to the Levites in the land, except cities to dwell in, with their common lands for their livestock and their property. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kezanite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him, as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these forty-five years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am this day, eighty-five years old. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now therefore, 
Give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him, and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kesanite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Joshua chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. You know, Joshua 12 to 14, that's 12, 13, 14, and 15. That's amazing. That's what we read today as we continue through the Bible, and that is reading God's Word. Now, I want to tell you that the Lord had promised the land of Canaan to the people of Israel. Did you get that? It's important. However, when Moses sent 12 men to spy out the land, 10 of them came back with a discouraging and a fearful report for the people. Only two spies, Joshua and Caleb, returned with a good report. They believed that God would conquer despite the odds. Joshua and Caleb encouraged the people to move forward, to trust in God's help to conquer the promised land. The children of Israel were so discouraged and living in fear that their response to Caleb and Joshua's message was to try and stone them. To the Israelites, nomadic life seemed better than death. And despite this generation of rejection, God stayed faithful to his promise that they would inherit the land. And those who didn't want to go in, they got their wish. They didn't go in. We read today in Joshua 14 about how God keeps his promises. Not only did Joshua inherit the land, but you know who did? Caleb. Caleb as well. He was promised when he was 40 and 45 years later, it's a long time, when Caleb was 85, he inherited the land. Absolutely true. This is a stunning testimony on Joshua's part. Take out your Bible guide and let's turn to today's passage. If you don't have a guide, you can write for yours or call for yours or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on the page. It'll take you to a donate page. Thank you so much for your donations. We really appreciate them. And also, may I say that, uh, that those who do donate, you help us tremendously right now. It really helps us. So thank you for that. We trust in the Lord. And so God is using you to speak to us, to continue on. So that's excellent. Now, today we look at God keeps his promises. Joshua 14. Father, I pray today that you would help us to learn about who you are. You're a God who keeps your promises. And I know, Lord, because we don't often keep our promises, but... Help us to learn how important that is. And help us, Father, to have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us that we can make right decisions about promises, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Take your Bible and turn with me to Joshua chapter 14 because this is something that is really interesting. And here is what the Bible says. These are the areas which children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun 
and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. For the nine tribes and a half, for Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half tribe on the other side of the Jordan. But to the Levites, he had given no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they gave no part to the Levites in the land except the cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. So this brings me to this point. The areas of the land God gave to Israel, God gave to Israel, are listed in the world's best-selling book, the Bible. God always keeps his promises. In fact, he still does today. The borders of Israel are listed. God keeps his promises. And Israel was first repeated in the Bible. Jacob was called Israel. So there you go. Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, this is Caleb, I love Caleb, the son of Jephthah, the Kenzite, said to him, you know the word which the Lord, this is Caleb, I love him. He's, he listened to what he says. You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barna. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever. How long is that? That's forever, including today. Because you have wholly followed the Lord, my God. Now this tells me one thing. Caleb was a man who wholly followed the Lord. And God is always faithful as we stay consistent in our life to follow him. Caleb, 85 years old, he doesn't care. He's going to take the land. And let me tell you something. The land he was taking was, eh, was full of people. So he says, I'm going to go take that land. God will help me. Amazing. So we go back to the scripture. Watch this now. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, Caleb says, as he said these 45 years. Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day. I'm right here, 85 years old. As yet I am as strong as this day <laughs> on the day that Moses had sent me. Just as my strength was then, so is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in the day 
For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there. I love this. And the, that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out. As the Lord said, you know what? Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron, gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephthah, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became an inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephthah, the Kenizzite. Now, this is amazing to this day, because who wholly followed the Lord? It was Caleb. Caleb, the Lord God of Israel. This brings me to the third point, and listen carefully. Caleb's strength as a man was not weakened, even years later. Now, we gain our strength in the faithfulness of God as we serve and follow him. I'm telling you, an 85-year-old man had land and he had to conquer the people in it and God was with him and he did it. He outlived Moses. Can you believe that? I'm just saying, it is absolutely stunning when we are wholly serving God, what God does. There is nothing, no government anywhere, nothing, that can bring us down because we serve Jesus Christ and we are Christians in the name of the Lord. Jesus Christ spoke to us and told us not to be afraid, not to be troubled by these times. This is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of God's final reconciliation with the world. God is going to make things change in our lives. And this is very important. He has selected you and myself to live in this time. And I find that absolutely amazing. So over the weekend, there was a signed reading. So if you have the Bible Discovery Guide, hopefully you will have read that. A lot of interesting things happened over the weekend. One of them was the eventual capture of the city of Ai, which seemed to the Israelites to be a breeze. It should have gone really well because they had just taken Jericho, which was much bigger, much more fortified, but it didn't go the way that they expected. So let's take a look at this modern search for this ancient city. The ancient city of Ai appears in the Bible in Joshua chapter 7 and 8. After the defeat of the large city of Jericho, Ai was to be next. The first battle against Ai did not go as expected for Israel. But after a regrouping, a new strategy is described, this time successful. And Ai is added to the smallest of cities that was actually destroyed and burned by the Israelites. Most cities of Canaan were just taken over. During the description of this second battle for Ai, many geographical features of the city and surrounding area are mentioned. This gives modern researchers vital clues to help identify the city, essentially building a list of criteria that any candidate for ancient Ai should fill. In 1924, modern Et Tel was identified by archaeologists as Ai. While this identification has held on in the minds of many researchers, it utterly fails the list of geographical criteria found in Joshua, leading other archaeologists to abandon Etel as a viable candidate for this place of Israel's second battle in the Promised Land. In fact, excavations at Etel revealed that the city wasn't even occupied during the time of Joshua. Surely this solidifies that Etel is the wrong location. 
However, many researchers will insist that instead, a battle never happened and the Bible's history is irreparably inaccurate. Et Tel simply does not fit the Bible's description, but there is another location that does. Identified by archaeologists Bryant Wood and Gary Byers is Kerbet El Makator. It fits all 12 of the Bible's descriptive characteristics for I, and though a small city, it was fortified with walls 13 feet thick with a gate on its northern side, like I in the Bible. Excavations there began in 1995 and have revealed not only an occupation level during Joshua's time, but also a destruction by fire. So there we go, a very good contender for the city of Ai that fulfills all of the biblical geographical requirements for it. So lots of interesting things going on in Joshua and this conquest time period. Yeah, that, that it is interesting to begin to search back and try to find these cities, that's fascinating. A lot's changed over time, but uh, it's really interesting. Okay, Ryan, you're up. All right, well, today I want to talk about the love and mercy of God because throughout the Bible, we read all about God's great love and mercy. But at the same time, we read about the so-called holy wars, you know, those divine commands to totally wipe out certain peoples and nations. And some of these include the complete annihilation of the Canaanites, as seen in Joshua, the leveling of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the world-ending global flood, not to mention the coming judgment of the whole world. So the ultimate question is, if God is truly loving and merciful, then how could he order such destruction? Well, let's think carefully about this. Although the Bible repeatedly declares that God is loving and merciful, there are several occasions where divine order is given to destroy, and in some cases to totally and utterly destroy, certain nations and cities. Numbered among these are the complete annihilation of the Canaanites, the leveling of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the world-ending global flood. In fact, God even destroyed his beloved Jerusalem and exiled his own people off into a foreign land. It is such egregious acts which have caused many to reject God as loving and merciful, viewing him instead as a deity who required appeasement and blood sacrifice to satisfy his capricious lust. However, this cynical view of the Almighty is completely ignorant and unfounded. For one thing, these critics want to separate the God who is merciful and loving from the God who is righteous and just. But these gods are one and the same. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 could not make this more clear. It first declares God to be merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, but goes on to say that he will by no means clear the guilty, even visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children. As Paul the Apostle put it, behold then the goodness and severity of God. To be sure, God is merciful and full of compassion and promises to save and have pity on anyone who repents and calls upon him. But God is also just, and therefore does not extend mercy to those who refuse to repent, but administers justice. And this fact relates to another problem with the critics' view of God. The reason God brought destruction on certain peoples was because they violently and steadfastly impeded or opposed his work over a long period of time. Indeed, in each and every case, God gave ample time and opportunity for the people to turn to him and live. For example, God waited many years before judging the world with a flood. In fact, he did not bring the watery cataclysm until all flesh had corrupted their way and violence had filled the whole earth. 
He even sent Noah as a preacher of righteousness, but they ignored the warnings and continued on with their everyday lives, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. Similarly, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were so wicked that not even ten righteous could be found there. The outcry against them was very great, yet God waited more than three centuries before destroying those cities, and he even sent them Lot, who according to the Apostle Peter, was considered a righteous man. Even the Canaanites, who committed many vile practices, including child sacrifice, sodomy, and bestiality, were given over 400 years of mercy and grace to turn from their wicked ways. And as the prostitute Rahab herself testified, her people knew who the God of Israel was. And the kingdoms of Israel and Judah were given roughly 750 and 900 years respectively, and were sent numerous warnings through many of God's prophets before the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Assyrians and Babylonians. Clearly, God is merciful and loving, as well as long-suffering, and desires everyone to turn from their wicked ways and live. So you can see from the get-go that the critics' view of God is simply wrong, because for one thing, they want to separate the God who is merciful and loving from the God who is righteous and just. Of course, the Bible teaches that God is merciful and full of compassion, and promises to save and have pity on anyone who repents and calls upon Him. But it also teaches that God is just, and so doesn't extend mercy to those who refuse to repent, but administers justice. Another problem with the critics' view of God as bloodthirsty is that God specifically brought destruction on those who violently and continually impeded or opposed his work over a long period of time. And this actually leads into the third and main reason why the critics' view of God is wrong. See, the critics' accusation that God isn't loving and merciful fails because the destruction of such evil nations was in itself an act of love and mercy. As I just mentioned before, anyone who continued to violently impede or oppose God, uh, his work over a long period of time was destroyed. Sadly, many people in the world today still actively oppose the work of God, and eventually they also will face judgment, ultimate judgment. So let's take a lesson from history and, and the Bible and use this current period of grace, which has now been nearly 2,000 years, and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and live. As the prophet Isaiah pleaded in chapter 55, verses 6 and 7 of his book, Seek the Lord while he might be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You know, the mercy of God is incredible. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody said God applies mercy to the people who are hurting. And uh, that's called, you know, relief of grief. Some people say God applies mercy when you're in trouble. Some people call that grace. But the idea of God being merciful is very, very important. Thank you, Ryan. Mm. That's really good. Janice? Well, I love this particular chapter of Joshua chapter 14 because we hear about Caleb again. And we know from the scripture that Caleb set his heart to wholly follow after the Lord his God. And he demonstrated that in his life. He demonstrated that as one of the 12 men sent in as a delegation of spies to spy out the land. And we know that um, only he and Joshua came out with a good report and encouraging the people to, to 
latch on and to take what God had promised and that with God's help and with God's strength, they would inherit the promised land as God had promised them. But I love it here in verse 8. Caleb again says, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Caleb is going to inherit Hebron, the land that was promised to him years before. So let's listen to... um, Uh, when he was 40 and he comes back to uh, Joshua and Caleb talks to him. Let's start in verse 10. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive as he has said these 45 years. Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. And listen to this statement that that he says in verse 11. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, and he's talking about when he was 40, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. And he's 85, and he wants to go and conquer this mountain, Rod. And so he talks to Joshua. Joshua says, yes, Caleb. You go and you take the land of Hebron. That is your inheritance. And so Caleb goes, and I thought, That's amazing. His strength was still there. He is giving glory and honor to the Lord God. And he's saying, I'm as strong this day as on the day that Moses went. You know where Caleb drew his strength from? Because he wholeheartedly followed his Lord God. You know what? You and I, as followers of Christ, we have our days where it's tough, where sometimes we just... You know, it's going to be, we know it's a tough day. It's a tough season in our life, but we don't draw strength from ourselves. Those of us who follow the Lord Jesus, we know that our strength, our joy comes in the strength that the Lord provides. And it's in this old age, in this age of 85, that Caleb has wholeheartedly followed his God and he still has that strength. Where is your strength today? Do you have little Or do you have much? Are you new in the faith? Then you just keep following with a determination of your whole heart to follow the Lord Jesus, to get his word in your heart and to apply it to your life. And when you have those days and those moments where it's really tough, call on him. Ask him for his help. He's right there and he will help you. He will help you when you call on his name. When we truly commit our lives to follow the Lord, our faith and our trust grows as we live and we see God's great love and faithfulness. And that is where we draw our strength from. Not from ourselves, because it won't last. You and I already know that. Our strength comes from the Lord Jesus. So allow him that accessibility into your life in Jesus' name. Yeah, that's very good, Janice. Excellent. Thank you so much. All right. Let's continue on as we go on to the next program. We'll uh, talk to you again tomorrow.